Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Let's start today's episode by reading a section from John Steinbeck's really famous novel of Mice and Men, which borrows its title from a particular line in the poem that we're about to read today on Lit Poetry. George had been listening to the distant sounds. For a moment he was businesslike. Look across the river, Lenny, and I'll tell you so you can almost see it. Lenny turned his head and looked across the pool and up the darkening slopes of the Gabalans. We're going to get a little place, George began. He reached in his side pocket and brought out Carlson's Luger. He snapped off the safety, and the hand and gun lay on the ground beside Lenny's back. He looked at the back of Lenny's head, at the place where the spine and the skull were joined. A man's voice came up the river, and another man's answered. Go on, said Lenny. George raised the gun and his hand shook, and he dropped his hand to the ground again. Go on, said Lenny. How's it going to be? We're going to get a little place? We'll have a cow, said George. And we'll have maybe a pig and chickens. And down the flat we'll have a, a little piece of alfalfa. For the rabbits. For the rabbits, George repeated. And I get to tend the rabbits. And you get to tend the rabbits. Lenny giggled with happiness. And live on the fat of the land. Yeah. Lenny turned his head. No, Lenny. Look down there across the river. Like you can almost see the place. Lenny obeyed him. George looked down at the gun. There was crashing footsteps in the brush now. George turned and looked towards them. Go on, George. When we going to do it? Going to do it soon. Me and you. You and me. Everybody going to be nice to you. Ain't going to be no more trouble. Nobody going to hurt nobody or steal from them. Lenny said, I thought you was mad at me, George. No, said George. No, Lenny, I ain't mad. I've never been mad, and I ain't now. That's a thing I want you to know. The voices came close now. George raised the gun and listened to the voices. Lenny begged, Let's do it now. Let's get that place now. Sure, right now. I gotta, we gotta. And George raised the gun and steadied it, and he brought the muzzle of it close to the back of Lenny's head. The hand shook violently, but his face set and his hand steadied. He pulled the trigger. The crash of the shot rolled up the hills and rolled down again. Lenny jarred and then settled slowly forward to the sand, and he lay without quivering. George shivered and looked at the gun, and then he threw it from him, back up on the bank near the pile of old ashes. So why have I read this passage today? Well, it's because all too often the best laid plans of mice and men gang affaglay, meaning they often go astray and amount to nothing. And that, my dear listeners, 
is one of the central themes in today's poem. May I introduce you to To a Mouse by Robert Burns, read to you by the forever wonderful Billy Connolly. To a mouse, on turning her up in her nest with the plough, November 1785. We sleek it, cool and timorous beastie over a Panics in thy breasty. The needn't start a war so hasty with bicker and brattle. I would be loath to run and chase thee with murdering paddle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earthborn companion and fellow mortal. I doubt now, whiles, but thou may thieve. What then, poor beastie, thou mun live? A demon icker in a thraves a smart request. I'll get a blessing with a lave and never missed. Thy wee bit hussy too in ruin. It's silly was the winds are strewing, and nothing new to big a new in of foggage green, and bleak December winds ensuing, both snell and keen. Thou saw the fields laid bare and waste, and weary winter coming fast, and cosy here beneath the blast thou thought to dwell, till crash the cruel coulter passed out through thy cell. That wee bit heap o' leaves and stibble has cost thee money a weary nibble. Now thou's turned out for all thy trouble, but hoose are hauled to thole the winter's sleety dribble, and Cranach called. But Moosey, Thou art no thy lane, and proven foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang after glee, and leas nought but grief and pain for promised joy. Still, thou art blessed compared with me. The present only toucheth thee, but och, a backward cast my ye on prospects drear, and forward, though I canna see, I guess and fear. So I want to begin this podcast by exploring the historical context of the poem. Robert Burns was popular and renowned for the down-to-earth language of his poems, a blend of formal English and Scottish dialect. This unique fusion of everyday language can be clearly seen in the poem To a Mouse, especially in phrases like man's dominion and bickering brattle. Burns' style combined with his passion for farming, gave him the label of the heaven-taught ploughman. While his formal education was not significant, Burns had two qualities that made him an excellent poet, his natural genius and the fact that he was an autodidact who was widely read. Burns was a discerning reader of poetry with a sharp eye for detail, 
and he used and transformed a variety of the poetic sources he came upon to inspire and inform his own work. An interesting side note here is that To a Mouse itself went on to inspire other writers. A number of novels and poems have taken borrowed lines from this poem. The most famous, as I pointed out in the opening of this podcast, is John Steinbeck's classic 1937 novel of Mice and Men. Within the poem, the narrator describes the events of accidentally destroying a mouse's nest with his plough, consigning the mouse to a more precarious future of homelessness. This kind of event and its consequences mirrors the types of social upheavals going on at the time of Burns's writing. More to the point, the mouse can be seen as facing an event also experienced by peasant farmers at the same historical time that Burns was writing. Before Burns's time in past centuries, individuals without their own land could graze their animals for free on common land. This system changed in the 1700s. Scottish landowners used advances in agricultural science and technology, including the English plough, to make farming more efficient. They enclosed or took over common land so that poor individuals could no longer use this land to make a living. In Burns's time, thousands of farmers were forced to leave their homes in Scotland. The poem's speaker, with his plough, embodies the advancements of this agricultural revolution. The mouse, on the other hand, embodies those people who lost their homes and livelihoods at the same time. The mouse could also embody, metaphorically, those disenfranchised people who once survived in Scotland by what is referred to as gleaning, but who were no longer afforded the opportunity to do so. Gleaning is when food is gathered from what remains in the field after a farmer has collected his or her harvest. In the Hebrew Bible, God promises to bless the farmers who allow the poor to glean leftover produce from their harvested crops. Burns, of course, hailed from a long line of poor farmers. During the period when he wrote To a Mouse, Burns himself was under threat of losing his farm due to failed crops and debt. As a poor farmer, Burns developed a sense of solidarity for the hungry poor and for farmers displaced from their homes. This concerned disposition for others is a hallmark of much of his work. Welcome back. At this point in the podcast, I want to turn our attention to a couple of the themes in the poem, the first of which deals with the relationship between animals and people. This theme comes into focus as soon as the mouse's nest is destroyed by the narrator's plough. These two beings, both mortal, are both products of the natural world and subject to random changes in the environment around them. Both are prone to being vulnerable within a sometimes harsh and unpredictable world. Due to this common ground of experience, the poem argues that people would do well to show care to their fellow creatures, no matter what their size or stature. 
And yet while they share many things in common, unlike an animal such as a mouse, a human being is gifted and cursed by their awareness of their past, present and future suffering, while other creatures in the natural order live more or less in the moment. By directly mentioning in the poem Nature's Social Union, the poem's narrator explains how humans and other living creatures are both part of nature and forced to live lives of competition and survival. In other words, both species have physical needs they fight to meet. Added to this, they are both vulnerable to injury and death. This is why the speaker calls himself the mouse's fellow mortal. Both mouse and man are also prone to loss and homelessness. After ploughing through the mouse's home, the narrator contemplates the suffering that he has visited upon the mouse, who will now be subject to winter's driving cold, the winter's sleety dribble and cranic cold. In the end, the mouse's predicament pushes the speaker to think about how all living creatures, mice and men alike, are subject to grief and pain in a volatile world where their strategies and schemes often fall over. The speaker's knowledge of the universal suffering that unites all beings results in the speaker's call to be sympathetic to all living creatures. The mouse may, as the poem suggests, thieve, but this doesn't anger the speaker because the mouse moan live. In other words, the mouse has to steal food to ensure its survival. Rather than taking the mouse's life with murdering prattle, speaker is willing to bestow on the mouse its small request of food. He even believes he'll be blessed if he shares his food with the mouse, implying that God intended humans to show compassion towards animals. And this connects the poem back to the old Christian practice regarding the gleaning of crops, as outlined earlier. The final theme to talk about today deals with suffering in life and its unpredictable nature. The most famous line of To a Mouse is this, the best laid schemes of mice and men, gang affaglay, meaning the best organised plans of both humans and animals usually go awry. Because the future is unpredictable, it is difficult to control it, and this invariably leads on to the experience of frustration, suffering and pain. The most a person can do in life, the poem implies, is to centre their concerns on the here and now and practice kindness to those who encounter hard times. The wrecking of the mouse's home shows how foresight may be vain. The mouse had tried to plan ahead for her future needs, but now her plan has proven a failure. She had thought to dwell in this nest cosy beneath the blast of the winter winds but now that her nest is in ruins she will have to suffer the sleet and frost of winter's sleety dribble and cranach's call the mouse's situation illustrates the general way that life's unpredictability ruins the promised joy that creatures hope and plan for and often leaves them with nothing but grief and pain Of course, it is important to note here that the speaker adds that the mouse is blessed in one way that a human isn't. 
Generally speaking, it is affected only by the present circumstance. The mouse has a limited capacity to recognise what future pain might be lying in wait for them. In other words, for the mouse, the anticipation and fear of the future is not as brutal as it is with a human. One of the biggest problems for human beings is their tendency to live in the past or the future, rather than mindfully in the present. When the speaker looks backwards at the past, he finds painful memories and prospects drear. And when he looks forward to the future, he says, though I cannot see, I guess and fear. In other words, anxiety flows from this insidious state of mind. So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. I hope some of you out there really enjoy a week lived gracefully in the present. And hats off to any listeners who are currently managing to live off the fat of the land. We'll finish by listening one more time to Billy Connolly's wonderful reading of this poem. I'll see you next week. To a mouse, on turning her up in her nest with the plough, November 1785. We sleek it, and timorous beastie over a Panics in thy breastie. The needn't start a war so hasty with bicker and brattle. I would be loath to run and chase thee with murdering paddle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earth born companion and fellow mortal. I doubt now, whiles, but thou may thieve. What then, poor beastie, thou mun live? A dame in ecker and a thrave's a smart request. I'll get a blessing with a lave and never missed. Thy wee bit hussy too in ruin. It's silly was the winds are strewn. And naething new to big a new in of foggage green. And bleak December winds ensuing, both snell and keen. Thou saw the fields laid bare and waste And weary winter coming fast And cosy here beneath the blast Thou thought to dwell Till crash the cruel coulter Passed out through thy cell That wee bit heap o' leaves and stibble Has cost thee money a weary nibble Now thou's turned out for all thy trouble But hoose are hauled To thole the winter's sleety dribble And crannach called But moose Thou art no thy lane, and proven foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang after glee, and leas nought but grief and pain for promised joy. Still, thou art blessed compared with me. The present only toucheth thee, but och, a backward cast my ye on prospects drear, and forward, though I canna see, I guess and fear. 
You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.